Welcome back to Camcast for this second part of my interview with Jay Bear, Hall of Fame speaker and best-selling author of Talk Triggers, a book all about creating intentional devices within the operation of your business that customers would choose to talk about to their friends, their colleagues and their networks, giving you a word-of-mouth strategy and ultimately winning you more business for free. In the last episode, Jay talked about the criteria for a Talk Trigger, the need to be remarkable, truly worthy of remark and packed with detail that would make for great storytelling. Reasonable, given the resources and the financial investment that may be required to fulfil these experiences. Relevant to your business, your industry, your product and your customer demographic. And repeatable so that this operational choice becomes available at scale to your most important customers and beyond. With 91% of B2B decisions being influenced in some way by word of mouth, it's so important that we consider the stories that our key contacts might be telling their networks and then design experiences that feed them with great stories to tell. Ever wonder why a deal with a key account is stalling, not going anywhere fast or at worst heading in the direction of the competition? Do you know what stories your key contacts are telling about you when you're not in the room? If you missed the last episode, you might want to check it out now. If not, perhaps you've been reflecting on the key questions that we left you with. Do you have a word of mouth strategy? If so, what is it? What does your business do for customers within the experience that isn't just good, it's different? What stories do customers tell about you and your brand? And what ideas have you had for creating an intentional talk trigger within your business? So let's jump straight back to where we left off as Jay begins walking us through some incredible examples and the five different types of talk trigger. Welcome to Camcast. I'm your host, David Ventura, a key account management consultant at camguru.com. In this podcast, we explore the strategies, systems, and skills you need for effective key account management. We talk to expert guests and business leaders, sharing the tips, tactics, and techniques for looking after your most important customers. This is Key Account Management Made Easy. Do something that people will notice and talk about. You know, operationally is where it gets a little sticky because as I said earlier, Mm. it's got to be extended to all customers and you've got to have a lot of consistency inside your organization to do it the same way every time. So I'm not suggesting that you can snap your fingers. And in fact, when we build talk triggers inside organizations, it's usually a 90 day process, right? You know, this isn't a, a quickie. But it's a lot easier than a lot of other things that, that, you know, you're probably investing time, money and effort into that will have less impact. Camcast, key account management made easy. And that's it. It's about having impact. Yeah. So let's let's hear some stories then. Okay. Yeah, the, the, Let me you talk know, about the, for, uh, the, the different types of talk triggers. So, yeah, the first type of talk trigger is talkable generosity. OK, this is when you give the customer something more than they expect. A free chocolate chip cookie is a, is a great example. This is the one that is most common. It's the one that you will notice more in the wild because mm-hmm. it is almost always the easiest to implement. Do a thing, do a thing plus one. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to kind of keep that consistent and figure out how to do it inside the organization, generosity is usually the simplest. We just rolled one out recently with a client. They're a very, very large national chain of arborists and lawn care experts. So they will come in and take care of your trees and your yard and trim them and make sure they're healthy. 
You do lots of annual contracts to take care of people's yards. And so we went through this whole process, same stuff I'm telling you here. And, and they landed on a talkable generosity idea, which mm-hmm. is now when you sign your annual contract, you get a game, an actual game that is given to you by your rep. And it's called Trevia, T-R-E-E-V-I-A, my friends. And it is plant and tree trivia that you can play with your friends and family members. I'd, I'd be awesome at that. I know everything there is to know about plants and trees. There you go. There <laughs> That's you go. a lie. This, I don't. <laughs> okay. So this is also a botany podcast, which which is no. got you know, a lot of potential. <laughs> so that's talkable generosity. Second one is talkable speed. Mm. This is when you're just faster, nimbler than, than customers expect and anticipate you to be. This mm. one can really have a lot of impact in an organization because nobody ever says that speed is unimportant, right? Every customer cares about it. And this is one that I love in B2B because mm. people don't expect B2B to be nimble. They just don't. Not as nimble as B2C. There is an accounting firm, and some of these ideas aren't even, uh, stories aren't even in the book because I discovered them after I wrote the book. So it's all all new stuff for you, David. (laughs) Thank you. There's an accounting firm in Indianapolis, about an hour from where I live, called Bogdanoff and Dodges. And they are a very undistinguished in many ways B2B accounting firm. They do small business tax returns, a little tax advice, occasionally some personal returns. They do a nice job by by all accounts, but you know, there's... 20,000 accounting firms like that in the US, something like that, do the exact same thing for the same money. So how would you possibly have a word of mouth strategy? How could you do that? Well, they do it with speed. They reply to every client via phone or email within five minutes at all times. Wow. Five minute response time in an accounting firm. And personally, not just using like chatbots or- No, personally. Personally, they've orchestrated it inside the organization to kind of hand things off and and do that. And what's amazing is if you go on Google, they have, I don't know what it is now, close to 100 reviews for an accounting firm. Mm. Mm. I have never been compelled to review my accountants under any circumstances, right? I would just like, just wouldn't do it. They have almost 100 reviews. And if you look in the actual text of the reviews, like 90 plus percent of them mention speed. Right. So it's, it's, it's evidence of the top trigger working. Yeah. yeah. It's like what you were saying earlier, though. You know, you, you've never told your friends about how remarkable your accountants are for yeah. doing your tax return in the way that you expected them to do it. Right. But you might tell them how fast they are at replying to, to email. I, and I think speed, you know, when I when I went through the five types of talk trigger from the book, I thought speed right now in today's world is probably the most important because people have lost all patience and they need stuff and they need it now. So that speed thing, I think, is really, really great. I think it's a a good time to mention this idea that I wouldn't tell you a story about the accounting firm doing the numbers correctly, but I would Mm. tell you a story about the accounting firm being fast. Your talk trigger will never be the actual thing that you sell because that's your product, right? That's not, that's not a word of mouth strategy. That's the thing that you do. The talk trigger is something around that, right? Doubletree's talk trigger isn't, we have beds, it's a chocolate chip cookie, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's this yeah. other thing. It's not your core thing. And so a lot of times, this is where we get messed up with clients. They say, well, we, we think that what we sell is a talk trigger. It's like, no, it's not. That's what you sell. Yeah. Right? It, it's got to be a different piece of, of, the, of the pie. 
I always talk about the, the two different types of value, I guess, and that people want and expect value for money. In other words, what you sell and what you do for them, they want a return on that investment. What they are not necessarily expecting or perhaps hoping for is value for free. So it's right. the value for money versus yeah. value for free conversation, isn't it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Third type is talkable usefulness. This is when you mm -hmm. are more helpful, informational, et cetera, than your clients might expect you to be. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite examples in this category, there is a, a real estate agent in Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. His name is Joe Manusa. And Joe's a little different than most realtors for a couple of reasons. One, he almost always only represents sellers. So if you want to buy a house, he doesn't really do that. Also, he pretty much only represents sellers who have homes between Last time I talked to him, 250 to 450,000 US dollars. And your mileage may vary depending on, on your circumstances, but it's common in that market segment. If you have a home that you're trying to sell between 250 and 450, you may not have a tremendous amount of equity in that home. Mm -hmm. You're not sitting on a lot of profit, in other words. And so what's very common in that segment is that sellers will think, sure. I could use a, a real estate agent like Joe, or I could try to sell this home myself. Because if I'm able to do that, I don't have to pay the 6% commission. Mm -hmm. I get to keep that 6% and that will improve my profits accordingly. Well, Joe knows this, as does every other realtor in the world, but Joe does something very, very different about it. See, every professional services website in the world, real estate, consulting, law, accounting, et cetera. They all say the same thing. The words may be in a different sequence, but they all say the same thing, which is, I am an expert. The one thing you should not do is try to do this yourself. That's what they say. Joe does not say that. He sat down and wrote a 63-page downloadable, totally free PDF document on his site. It's called How to Sell a Home on Your Own in Florida. <laughs> and it is step-by-step step exactly how to do it, who to call, paperwork to fill out. So I interviewed him for a book once I wrote, and I said, Joe, I don't, I don't really understand what you're doing here because it seems to me that you are giving away exactly what people need to not hire you. Jay, I understand why you think that. But what you also don't understand is that people get to about page 13 and they realize, holy cow, is it hard to sell a home on your own? Yeah. Yeah. It's his number one source of customers. Mm. And not only do those people who read it become clients, but if you thought about selling a home on your own, who else is likely to want to try to sell a home on your own? Your friends and neighbors. Mm. And they will say, hey, David, um, weren't you going to try and sell your house on your own? And you're like, yeah, I was going to. But don't do that. <laughs> don't even think about that. I, I started yeah. reading the book. You should just call Joe. Yeah. And so it becomes yeah. a talk trigger now that creates waves and waves and waves of customers. And we can probably think of in our own experiences, loads of things that we think are easy to do and we set about trying to do them on our own and you get sort of a third of the way in and you realize, actually, this is a lot of hard work and uh, I value my time more than I do the the cost of actually getting someone else involved. So so we, we I can really relate to that. I think it's uh, commonplace and it's scary 
to put all of your secrets out there. So, you know, hats off, hats off to the guy for saying, that's my thing. That's why I'm going to give it all away. It's a bit like the, the magicians that tell you how they did the trick. And that's, yes, you know, that's part of their magic, if you like, isn't it? I wrote about that a lot in my book, Utility, this idea that your secret sauce is almost never secret, that, you know, you're, you're holding back what you know, because you're afraid that somebody will then learn it and then not hire you, like, like in Joe's case. Mm. And what I said in that book is that a list of ingredients doesn't make somebody a chef. Yeah. And I've been in this business for 30 years now, and I'm also a seventh generation entrepreneur. And one thing I'll tell you is that if you've got a potential client who is genuinely thinking like this, I could hire an expert or I could watch some YouTube videos and learn how to do it myself. And they're weighing those options. That is almost never a client you want anyway. So you should give them the raw materials for them to self-educate and send them on their way. Because Mm -hmm. even if you can successfully turn them into being a client, in some cases, they will be such a colossal pain in the ass. You will wish that they never became a client. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I sometimes say one of the biggest lessons or or skills you can learn in account management is how to sack a client that you you don't really want um, because it's it's hard to do. But, you know, it's amazing how many times doors will open because of one door you closed uh, and and chosen to close. And I think there's a big the big theme of being intentional in in our in our discussion today. So Um, true. Uh, one of the other um, talk uh, triggers that well, the, one that one that I thought was really interesting for for the now for you know yeah. the time that we're in because of course empathy is such an important quality with everything that's going on across the world right now and here we are you're saying that empathy we can use as a theme for creating something intentional it's not just reaction it's not it's not just being there for someone but but using empathy in the right way to spread the word give us an example of that you know it's interesting because empathy as a talk trigger empathy as a conversation starter probably wouldn't have been valid at some point in the past because there was a time, and I'm old enough to remember it, when when treating customers with kindness and humanity and dignity and empathy, we didn't even have a name for it. It was just the default state. And, and somewhere yeah. along the way, we lost our way. And now we're sort of in this era of empathy deficit, which is a little disheartening, actually, as a human being. But it's a huge business opportunity because clients do not expect empathy now because they just don't get it all the time. In fact, they get yeah. it rarely. So they don't expect it. And as we talked about at the very beginning, a talk trigger has to exist where they don't expect it. Mm. And so now empathy not being expected is now an opportunity to create conversations. There is, I actually just did a talk for, for this guy last week, so this is exciting for me, Dr. Glenn Gorab, who was, I think, one of the best marketers in the dental field, which is sort of a weird thing to say, but he is an oral surgeon in New Jersey, Clifton, New Jersey, just across the water from New York City. There's 400 and something oral surgeons in his trade area, very competitive. And they all do the exact same thing, right? They, they do surgery in mouths. It's not like somebody's got like a laser or whatever, right? If there's not really a technology advantage, they all charge basically the exact same thing. So why would you pick one over the other? Well, typically it's geography who's closest to your house, who's closest to your office. 
That's a tough way to run a business, right? Glenn does it different, and he has an incredible empathy-based talk trigger. Every Friday, his office staff gives him a list of names and phone numbers, and on Saturday, he calls those people just from his phone. Hey, this is Glenn. I'm your oral surgeon. I understand that you're coming to the office for the very first time next week. Before you get here, I just wondered if you had any questions. And people can't believe it, David. Mm. They, they, they are flabbergasted. They've never had a physician or any kind of professional call them and say, do you have any questions? Are you scared of anything? Before mm -hmm. they ever showed up, after the fact, sure. I mean, I've had oral surgery and dentist calls me, you know, that night afterwards, like, hey, are you bleeding to death? How's the pain? Whatever. That's not, you know, <laughs> super uncommon. No. But and that's maybe that's maybe checking not for a lawsuit as well. That's not <laughs> right. empathy. It's that's a uh, yeah. different deal, right? Mm. That, that's customer retention at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's amazing. And, and, and Glenn tells me, again, I just talked to him a few days ago, that, that it is a remarkable. So many people, upwards of three out of four, mention these phone calls when they're in the chair, right? When he's in their mouth, like, oh, thanks for calling me. Uh, <laughs> and every single day, every day they get calls into their office from patients who say, I have to drive way out of my way. I have to pass up several other oral surgeons who are closer, but I want to go to you because you're the doctor that called my friend Shirley before she ever came into the office. It is incredibly powerful. And mm. all it is, is understanding the feelings of another person. That's all empathy yeah. is. Empathy doesn't mean the customer is always right. Empathy doesn't mean you're bent over backwards. Empathy just means you understand and share the feelings of another person. Yeah. And I love this notion of, well, I don't love it. I recognize the notion of empathy deficit, you know, in the world. And I'm an idealist, you know, I, I like the idea that we will eventually get back to a point where everyone has empathy in everything that they do and in every interaction that they have. And that, that does sound like an ideal world. If we get there, Jay, <laughs> do you think this talk trigger will become obsolete uh, do we uh, is there a, a vision where we might get to the point where the empathy talk trigger is just not usable anymore i don't think so because while maybe we're in an atmosphere right now where people are trying to value empathy more again um, obviously there's some external forces on that and and two empathy isn't very easy to execute if you're running it through a software program. Efficiency is typically the enemy of empathy. <laughs> and the financial considerations around customer service efficiency, quote unquote, uh, I think will prevent empathy from ever becoming de facto. Yeah. And that makes sense. It's a sad acceptance, but it does make sense. I I'm guess. waiting for the empathetic <laughs> chatbot. Um, to, to be, to be Some, someone's working on it. Someone's working on it. Someone's working um, on it. Let's hold hands together. Me and the chat box. <laughs> Jay, Jay, the final, uh, the final one, which you haven't mentioned yet, I yeah. wanted to ask you about a specific example sure. here, because yeah. you know our listeners who are maybe not familiar uh, with you may not know this, but you are famous for something, yeah. and that something is uh, is something that you wear. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your suits, and in particular, the talk trigger for your tailor. Yeah, I'll actually give you a better story you don't know. The the fifth kind of talk trigger is talkable attitude. And this is when you just do something kind of left of center. 
is usually a little bit wacky or fun or frivolous or what have you. I should say that in B2B, this one works even better because people yeah. definitely don't expect this kind of talk trigger from a business. Sure. business one. one of our clients that Convince to Convert is a glove manufacturer. They, they sell work gloves. They develop and sell work gloves. Uh, they're based in Canada and they uh, compete against other organizations in Asia that sell lower quality, lower cost gloves. It's a B2B organization. They sell to safety managers, equipment managers at big at like oil derricks and factories and things like this. Well, at some level, a glove is a glove is a glove, but it's not. These guys make the best gloves, highest price, but definitely the best gloves. And so what they wanted to do is create a situation where the people who are actually wearing these gloves on the factory floor, you know, on the oil platform, et cetera, et cetera, construction zone, notice and pay attention to what gloves they're wearing and then spit that story back to the safety manager, supply manager, resources manager to make sure that the gloves manufactured by my client are actually asked for by name. Mm. Canadian company. We did the whole talk triggers process and we landed on talkable attitude, which again is, is just kind of wacky and different. Company's called Superior Glove. Now, when you get a pair of Superior Glove work gloves, on the back is the company logo, which includes a maple leaf in it, Canadian company. Mm-hmm. Cool. But when you scratch the glove, it smells like maple syrup. Wow. Maple syrup scented work gloves. Now, I can <laughs> tell you that that creates a ton of conversations on the factory floor. Mm. Right? Talkable attitude. Scratch my own, my, my own story. <laughs> yeah. So I'm out of costume at this point, if you happen to be catching any video of this, but I am known on stage for always wearing a kind of crazy plaid suits. I've got 14 different plaid suits in different colors and patterns, etc. Always plaid suits. Even since we finished writing the book, David, we put a new twist on it. So a talk trigger it wasn't really a talk trigger, right? It was like, oh, Jay, Jay wears a plaid suit. It was a bullet point. It wasn't an experience. Mm-hmm. I told you at the very beginning, talk mm-hmm. trigger has to be an experience, not a bullet point. Jay wears plaid as a bullet point. Mm-hmm. Not an experience. Not an experience for my customer, who is not the audience, typically. My customer is the meeting planner. That's who's paying me. It is a B2B transactional relationship. How do you create conversations amongst that group who has worked with dozens or hundreds of speakers over time, all of whom are at least good, presumably? <laughs> the way it works now is when you book me to give a presentation and anybody listening can pause the show and go look at this right now if they want, they, you get a link to a little website that my team and I built. It's called dressjbear.com. You go to dressjbear.com, you say, here's my event, here's what the date is, and then all the suits are there. You get to pick out which suit I wear on stage. It goes on my calendar, so I remember what to wear. <laughs> and the meeting planners love it. They talk about it all the time, all the time. Amazing. I'd, I'd need an extra step there, though. I'd need a reminder before the event to make sure it's been dry cleaned and ready to wear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I got people for that. That's good. So <laughs> so we've got we've got talkable uh, generosity is the first one you talked about, talkable speed, talkable yep. usefulness, yep. empathy, and then finally attitude. attitude. 
Yeah, it would be wrong of me not to mention, obviously, the, the the time that we're in at the moment. We've experienced and we're still experiencing this global pandemic where the, the way that we work and the way businesses operate has obviously changed and shifted. And a lot of companies have no longer got their bricks and mortar presence, which is, I imagine, where a lot of organizations' talk triggers would exist in, in real life interactions. Have you noticed any changes in talk triggers or, or new ones uh, come about as a result of the changing environment? Well, certainly you're, you're seeing people do things that, that are of the time. The challenge, of course, is do those talk triggers then have to be moved away from when, when, when things change back? I'll tell you one that I loved the other day. I found um, the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team Mm -hmm. at the last season, which concluded, you know, late late fall, they had the cardboard cutouts in the stands. Do you see that? Like a lot of stadiums did that. They would sell to fans the ability to put their face on a, on a cardboard cutout and then, and then, you know, glue it in the stands or whatever. So what the Pirates did was anytime a player hit a foul ball into these stands, of course, no fans there, they would pay attention with you know, video cameras, which seat it landed in. And then the Pirates would grab the ball, right? They would have the whole team sign it and then send it to the person whose season ticket that is and say, we know you would have caught this one. See you next year. Love the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's great. such a good idea. Yeah. I love, love, love that one. It's so good. I mean, it doesn't really pass the repeatable test. It doesn't go to everybody. It only goes to those who a ball happened to be hit in their seat. So it's not purely a talk trigger from the classic uh, kind of mathematical sense, but I just really, really like that idea. And I think it's so smart to, you know, kind of take something that's a problem, no fans in the stands and turn it into an opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, something that we touched upon a little bit earlier on, which which is obviously when something becomes expected, it's no longer remarkable. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people will be listening to this thinking, all right, I've got some ideas. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to get the book. I'm going to go through the process. I'm going to come up with some thoughts about what my talk trigger would be. But my worry, my concern is that I'll do it for a bit. And then every customer that I have, maybe my key accounts, I've only got a handful of them. Maybe I've got a top 10 set of customers. You know, if I do it enough for those 10, they're going to then expect it going forward. So the the bar raises, the uh, the, the needle moves, the expectations uh, change. How can we deal with that? What's the best way of handling expectation shift with, with customers? Yeah, I don't think you need to worry about that too much. Because ultimately, even if they've experienced it more than once, it's it's still remarkable to the listener to the story. So let me let me let me make uh, make this clear. The person that it has to be remarkable to isn't the customer because you're right. Over time, they've expected it. It's to the listener of the story that they tell. See, you're trying to get somebody to literally tell a story about your business. Could be online, could be offline, doesn't matter. People only tell stories if they think the the recipient of the story will say, oh, that's a great story. If they're not going to say, oh, that's a great story, people don't tell the story because there's nothing more awkward than telling a story that somebody's already heard or that isn't a good story. You know, uh, my accountant's numbers added up. And so even if your client has has experienced the talk trigger, until whoever they tell the story to has already heard it, it's still a viable talk trigger and a viable story. 
as I said, Doubletree's been giving out chocolate chip cookies every day for 31 years. <laughs> and they've built a billion dollar business on this idea. So I wouldn't mm. worry about your six customers getting bored. Okay, well, that that gives me some some faith. Um, the the other question, I guess, that so when I went through the section about creating a talk trigger, mm-hmm. you know, the part of your advice in the early part of that process suggests that we, you know, we get all the right people together. We look at our teams. We get different people from different departments. We look at the data. We analyze customer experience historically and all of that. And and that's really really important. And Yet at the same time, for some of us running maybe smaller businesses that don't have a team, that haven't really got any data to, to speak of, mm-hmm. uh, can't really analyze customer experience, all of that. What's the best place for a small or, or micro business to, to start? The best way to do it is to actually talk to your current clients. Mm-hmm. So the way we do this now, and it's actually a little different than, than how we document in the book, is we typically will try to do 18 interviews. Now that may be more than necessary in your organization, but typically we try to do 18 one-on-one calls. Six calls with new customers, six calls with key accounts, six calls with lost customers or lapsed customers. And what we want to do is kind of walk each of those customers through the customer journey. How did you first hear about us? Then you went to the website. And then we gave you a proposal and then we had a call about it. You sort of walk them through the relationship path. And then at each of those destinations on the path, the question you ask is quite simple. When we sent you a proposal, what did you expect would happen? And then you just shut up and let them talk. Because what you're trying to do is create an expectations map that Mm -hmm. lays over a customer journey map. Because again, talk trigger has to be something they don't expect. The -hmm. other great question to ask customers, and I would do this in every customer sat survey you have, is how would you describe what it's like to work with us in three words? And -hmm. when you start to see patterns emerge out of those words, that's the raw material that you might then spin up into a talk trigger, mm. right? So think about the, uh, the accounting firm Bogdanoff and Dodges in Indianapolis. They were already pretty responsive, right? I mean, they were, they were, you know, they were pretty on top of it from an accounting firm perspective. They saw a reaction to that and said, okay, now let's lean into it all the way and turn it into five-minute response time. It wasn't like they went from one-hour response time to five-minute response time. They were already pretty pretty quick. And they're like, oh, people really react to this. Now let's make it a thing. Just like me with the plaid suits. I've been wearing plaid suits for nine years, but I only turned it into an experience 18 months ago. Mm. I I love those two questions. And, you know, sometimes we don't spend enough effort intentionally thinking about the questions that we're going to ask our clients. It's time for the CamCast Killer Question. Okay, we're talking about questions, Jay. As you know, one of the key segments of Camcast is the killer question uh, segment. And really, it's designed to get our listeners thinking about their business, a a reflective question that, that sits them back in their chair for a moment of thought pause, reflection um, about something they can be doing. Jay, uh, what's your killer question for our listeners? I want you to think about what your customers would say 
when they are telling a story to their friends, which goes like this. You won't believe what happened to me when dot, dot, dot. The other end of that ellipsis is your talk trigger. Mm. If you don't have a talk trigger, they're still saying something about you. So what is that? That's my killer question. I love it. And, and actually, because there's two things in that, isn't there? It's, you know, if, then, if, if there isn't another end of it, then what are they saying? Um, and understanding what the current state of play is. But it's also being intentional about crafting what you would like that end of the sentence to, to be. Jay, thank you so much for, for joining us. There's so much value in this topic, in this piece of work. That, that it really, really is a great book and uh, packed full of, of stories that you can really relate to as a business owner, as a business leader, but also as a, as a consumer as well. And, and it's also packed with value around how to go about creating these talk triggers. Um, Jay, this is your shameless plug moment. If any listeners want to get in touch and find out more about you and what you do, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, a couple of quick things on that. One, if you go to talktriggers.com, there's a tremendous number of free resources there. It's talkably useful. There's discussion guides, there's infographics, there's research. There's all kinds of things that you can use to help put this into practice in your own organization. Also, if you would like to purchase a copy of the book, it's available all the places and ways that books can be procured. Audiobook read by myself and my co-author, Daniel Lemon. There is a talk trigger for the book, Talk Triggers, which I suspect would stand to reason. It goes like this, and it actually says this on the back of the book. If you purchase the book and you don't love it unconditionally, I will buy you any other book of your choosing, period. Any book. You want a first edition Bible? We'll figure it out. So far, we've had two people redeem that offer in the world who didn't like it, and uh, and I bought them a different book. So I make the same offer to you. It's actually on the back of the book, on the cover. That is our, uh, our offer. Last thing, if you like these kind of stories, tune into a, my YouTube show called The Talk Triggers Show. There's 20, 25 episodes. I haven't made any new ones for a while, but each episode is only like six minutes long, and it's a different case study an example of businesses B2B and B2C using talk triggers effectively. What's fun about the show is that you don't learn who the business is until the last five seconds. You just go to YouTube and search talk triggers and you'll find it. That's great. Uh, Jay, thank you so much. There was usefulness and generosity packed in that. So uh, <laughs> thank you Back so much the again. Plug. There you go. Talk about useful plug. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for joining us on Camcast. Thanks, my friend. Camcast account management made easy. So there we have it. Incredible insight and inspiration there from our guest this week, Jay Bear. The book really is a fantastic read and I'd love to hear from anyone who's picked up a copy. Uh, tell me what you think and what ideas you have for creating and crafting talk triggers in your business. Ones that really feed your key account contacts with the fuel for telling great stories, spreading the word and evangelizing the great messages for you and your business. Do you create talkable generosity? Not just giving your clients value for money, but also value for free. Do you create talkable speed? Every customer cares about speed and being nimble is often unexpected. So that creates huge potential for B2B businesses in using pace and reaction times to differentiate. What could you do to improve that within your business and your working practices? Are you creating talkable usefulness? Being massively helpful and providing informational resources will never go amiss. Maybe you're helping clients to do it themselves. 
knowing that your secret sauce is almost never secret. And the removal of fear of giving too much away simply hones in on the right clients who are desperate for your support. Remember that a list of ingredients doesn't make someone a chef. Are you giving talkable empathy? Treating customers with empathy and care used to be the default. And for some reason, we've fallen by the wayside. In a world where empathy and compassion is key, we're often suffering from empathy deficit and businesses have a real opportunity to be different in this area. Are you creating talkable attitude? Are you ready to push the boundaries, be wacky and different and add attitude to your experiences? With the objective here of trying to get people to literally tell a story about your business, we need to focus on the storyteller's audience. What stories will they find remarkable? And what do we need to do to empower people to tell those stories? If you like this concept, where will you start? Jay encourages us to complete the sentence, you won't believe what happened to me when... The other end of that sentence is your talk trigger. Perhaps you want to ask your key contacts what they think today. Maybe ask the question, how would they describe what it's like to work with you in three words? If a talk trigger will never be the thing that you sell, you need to focus on the experience of getting to know you, buying from you, using your product or service and the aftercare that you provide. Remember that good is a four-letter word and not just in the literal sense. Different will be what makes the difference for great CAM success. we got plenty more guests coming your way this year on CAMcast. And don't forget, get in touch if there's a topic or a question that you'd like us to explore in future episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of CAMcast, a podcast brought to you by CAMGuru.com one of the UK's leading key account management consulting and training organisations. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate you sharing it with your connections, giving us a review on your chosen podcast app and letting us know what else you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on the website at camguru.com forward slash podcast.